You're listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration, a podcast dedicated to helping software executives stay on the cutting edge of sales and marketing in their industry. Let's get into the show. Hi, welcome to B2B Revenue Acceleration. My name is Aurélien Moutier, and I'm here today with Jake Dunlap, CEO at Scale Consulting. How are you today, Jake? I'm doing fantastic. How are you, man? Yeah, I'm good. Happy New Year. Today, we will be speaking about what to expect from B2B sales world in 2021. So uh, you must have a crystal ball or, or some sort of uh, <laughs> antennas that help you to, to read the future, which is great. Uh, joke apart, uh, before we, we start the conversation, Jake, would you mind uh, just introducing yourself briefly as well as your company, Scale Consulting? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yes. Uh, I don't know if it's a crystal ball. It's more of a... You know, I think there's some tea leaves that have been in motion, uh, yeah. and some things that have been in motion that I think are that that 2020 accelerated. Uh, so I'm Jake Dunlap, as you said. I, I run a uh, sales consulting operation, scaled consulting. We specialize in working with companies that are either growing through various stages of growth and need a mix of strategic and tactical support, both staff augmentation and strategy support, or companies that are already established, um, you know, big global, global 2000 companies that are trying to modernize. So really what differentiates us and why people bring us in is the tactical execution component, meaning much of our con- consulting work, which, you know, people ha- usually have a, very, a love for the word consultant, uh, is actually on the, t- the tactical execution side. So it's not just in telling people analyses and recommendations, it's also then in the pull through because, you know, our, our job is really to affect change to really help to create the future of sales. And my background, I've been in sales for almost 20 years, various sales leadership roles. At some point in my career, I realized I wasn't a very good employee and decided that I, I, was, I loved the work and was extremely good at the work, I'm not so good at the politics and other things, and um, started Scaled almost eight years ago now with really the goal that, again, I saw sales organizations weren't supported with you know, kind of an agency or support model like other parts of the organization and wanted an opportunity to bring that tactical hands-on support to sales. So yeah. that's a quick high level on us and, and me. There's a lot more. I mean, we can go deep. There's a lot. I've got a lot of layers here. Well, just, I just got one more question about that. I mean, is, is there a specific type of sales organization that you would feel you are more equipped to support or can you go from blue chip to, to, to bootstrap startups? I'm, our clients are all over the board from companies that might have, you know, 20 to 50 people and companies that have thousands. And, and it's just, it's different. It's a different mix. You know, at, at early stage, we do a lot of interim work. So maybe you don't need a full-time CRO. You need a half-time. Maybe you don't need a full-time sales operations person. You need three-fourths time. So at, at the smaller companies, a lot of it is very hands-on work. And then, you know, it's a lot of it is just trying to bring those same principles of what you see these kind of smaller cutting edge companies doing to larger companies. I think there's a fallacy that usually the bigger the company, the more dysfunction, actually. And and I think a lot of people think it's the opposite. They think that, you know, the growth stage is the dysfunction. That's just not the case. Yeah. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. No, it's good. And, and to be honest with you, we need tactical people in this world. You know, it's, uh, it's all good to come up with big PowerPoint presentation right. and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, it's about execution. You know, it's about being there every day. And from my perspective, similar situation as you've never really worked for, for a company before. But the thing that we, we tend to see, 
So yes, yeah, so I think I think tactical execution is is actually very 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 important because you know in the world we are in, which is particularly after 2020 and all the stuff that happened last year, it's about adaptation versus having a plan. Of course, everybody's got a plan. I'd like to have a, a five year, six year, ten years plan and everything, but then it's about executing and almost fine tuning, calibrating every week. And that's why I think tactical execution is so much more. I, they are both important. But it's in the tactical that you will actually see real results. It's in tactical that you will see real good people. People are able to take a look in the mirror very quickly and adapt the trajectory within within minutes, not weeks, basically. Which might be difficult with a company. Yeah, that's exactly. And you think about it. It's why you know there's no shortage of ideas, people in this world. Everyone, and we were talking about this before. Coaches, right? There's no shortage of people that give you advice and come up with ideas. The shortage we have in this world is the, you know, the get shit done people. Yeah. You know? and, and I think that that's, that's really the, you know, one of the main reasons I'd worked with consultants at both, at both companies where I was a VP of sales at Glassdoor and at Chartbeat. And I, I specifically, I remember I walked away from both engagements like, what am I supposed to do with this? Like, sounds great. You know, that we spent this three weeks, four weeks together and you generated this massive, you know, document about our international expansion. And I'm like, cool now what <laughs> i and and i feel like that's what it's but but you know we're no different whether it's in an internal project it's the same fail points right that we see companies get so excited they implement a new initiative they buy a piece of tech it's about the deployment and the follow-through it's not about the, the implementation or the new process is step one and so i think a lot of companies just it's, it's a mindset shift for them to not don't get so excited about the implementation get excited about the long haul of the deployment because that's where the, the change happens. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you, Jake. So let's get into the topic now. 2021 just kicked off. You know, the first week of 2021 was relatively uh, animated. I watched the news in the US, you had a few things happening. Let's put that aside. Said no politics, Jake. <laughs> so let's leave that. <laughs> and everybody, I guess, is, is wondering what to expect from 2021. Okay, we expect it's going to be the breakthrough year, economy will go back and Everybody will be happy again and able to uh, to go out and sip on cocktails in bars and everything. That's that's what I hope. But I also know that you recently joined or went live on Clubhouse. I'd like you to really, uh, discuss that a little bit because we spent ten minutes in preparation from this podcast to discuss about the Clubhouse, and you got me very excited about it. it seems to be quite cool. I want to be part of it now. Uh, and and I know that on Clubhouse you are you are sharing your predictions about B two B the B two B sales world for twenty twenty one. Um, so two things. First of all, I'd like maybe for you to, to, to give a couple of uh, sentences or description as to Clubhouse, what Clubhouse is, but also most importantly, because that's the aim of today, uh, I'd like to understand from you the trends that you are seeing happening or coming to us in 2021. Yeah, I mean, what, what I feel like, so Clubhouse is a new app. It actually launched maybe six to seven months ago. It's still, it's still in relative beta. That basically... I mean, I don't know how, you know, I'm sure audience wise, there's all over, but, but think about it. Like, you know, you join up, there's a bunch of rooms happening about various topics that you can join in audio only. And it's 100% live with no archives. So, so I think what it is, is there's a need, if you think about all these social media platforms, you know, whether it's LinkedIn or Instagram, you comment on people's posts, they comment back. Yeah. You know, I think we're craving that interaction. Whereas a clubhouse, you 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 know, you sign up or you'll find somebody who can get you to to sign up. 
And then you can just jump in these rooms and you can raise your hand, you can talk to people, you can hear their voice, or maybe that person that you've been following on social media for however long, you can now hear them talk and you can interact with them. And so I think that there's a human interaction piece that we've been craving that Clubhouse helps to solve for right now. And who knows if that will, I'm sure LinkedIn and Instagram, Instagram in particular is, is not dumb. And they've been very good about uh, innovating and you know, finding new ways to, to you know, bring in new products. So, but, but that's what I think that the need that that one solves. And so if you're not on it, I'd suggest you get in. And, and that's really, you know, when you we talked before about a crystal ball, it's, you know, it's just playing around with a lot of things. Like I'll go on Clubhouse for the next whatever. And if for some reason I, I lose steam, then I'll, you know, I'll kind of get a feel that, well, you know, maybe there's something there. It's like, you know, LinkedIn release stories, for example, I was big on stories. And then as I, play, you know, I did it more, I'm like, well, you can tell they're not really investing in this, this the yeah. start going up. So, you know, I think with a lot of people, you just need to go and test it yourself. But for me, you know, to, to answer the second part of your question, which was, you know, some of the trends, and then we can kind of, we'll go deeper on each of these. The first thing that I think 2020 accelerated is that sales and marketing organizations need to learn how to digitally interact with people that we were so used to either one-way communication of you download a white paper or a blog post or you read something and we email you versus how does a marketing department start to be more proactive, right? Actually engage, interact, comment, get their, get their organization doing that versus reactive, waiting, yeah. waiting for all the fish to come into your net. Um, and then on the individual side, on the sales side, We've got, to, we've, got to, we've got to figure out, because I think a lot of people are starting to get wise to this, how to create a sales experience digitally. When we were face-to-face, -face, you couldn't be on your email because I'm right in front of you. If yeah. you know, we're at a trade show, you're not multitasking. And so a lot of the work, the conversations we were having the last half of last year and the first part, you know, brand new this year, is how do you create a pre-meeting experience by using content or screenshots and then how do you start to share your screen during the meeting to make it more interactive? And then what do you do post-meeting to keep people warm? So the, the biggest trend I think is going to continue to be the evolution of creating a digital sales experience. Um, and I think that that's going to be mission critical for every company and especially those companies that were predominantly, you know, field teams you yeah. know, where they had outside reps. So those are a few things, little clubhouse a little, little predictions. I've got a few others that, but we can, we can kind of go deeper here for now. Yeah. No, and that makes perfect sense, Jake. So yeah, I think Clubhouse, I'd, I'd love to get on it, but it seems to be very difficult to get on it, which makes me want to get on it even farther. It's crazy. Crazy yeah. what I can get. Get me out of there. Uh, but um, no, I, I think that makes perfect sense. I mean, from, from, from the, because we've been forced to kind of take that, uh, that digital journey. And I've got to tell you, I was completely, not completely against it, but despite the fact I'm you know, not new to sales, but I may not have 20, 30 years experience in selling. I probably have a good 10, 15 years behind me. I'm a big believer in the old school way of selling, you know, looking at people in the eyes, meeting them in person. I love to go to events. I love to travel to people. You know, for me, if you go to visit a client, it's, it's important. It means that you, you care about them and you want to know what's happening with them, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and that's, that's 2020 has really taught me that, you know, now you've got to do without it and you've got to move, you move online. And 
we've not seen a drastic change in terms of conversion rates, but do you see people having to adapt their plan from a conversion perspective based on the fact that now we've got more of a digital sales journey? Uh, I mean, I think you're going to have to adapt your plan if you don't adapt the way you're selling digitally. Meaning, I, like, like you said, you actually hit it on the head. You go, well, we haven't seen that big of a drop in conversion. Well, you know, it, it's interesting. I think that the buyers are kind of, I mean, look, there wasn't really an option, right, for travel. Let's just call it what it was. Yeah. I think this is one of those roads that once you cross it, you know, will we have face-to-face meetings again? Sure. But again, I think the, the, if you ask someone a year ago, could you close a six, a big six figure or seven or big or mid seven figure deal without any face to face? I think most people would say it, that'd be really, really hard. Yeah. Somehow magically we figured out how to do it. And, and I feel like that is the beginning of the end for the amount of, of people we have in the field. And it just is what it is that look, yes, do people. And it's so interesting. You know, you're like, I like to travel. I like to do this. I do too. Guess what? I like to travel. I like wine. I like expensive dinners. I like golf. I like all those things. Right. But guess what? Your buyers are saying they don't really care as much. Mm-hmm. And so we have to adapt as sellers. And instead, maybe it's about how before the meeting I use Sendoso or another service to send you a, you know, a new mug, a new travel mug, or, you know, I do something in it and have a coffee. You know, I just think that those little, you know, call it serendipity. That's those serendipitous moments that sellers and buyers would have, whether it's walking in a hallway, you know, the, the, the ch- idle chit chat in between meetings. We've got to figure out how to bring those experiences when we're not face to face. And that is a skill that is going to be, uh, you know, ne- it'll never go away. Like that's just, it's just a good skill set. Cause then if you layer on face to face, then, then you're, then you're hitting a home run, you know, once face to face becomes more acceptable, you know, maybe toward the end of the year, I think we'll see it 2022. We'll maybe ease back into it, but I, I don't think we're going to see a substantial return to face to face and for at least a year and a half. Yeah, that, that, and that's kind of my, my, my next question here. So let's fast forward six months. Hopefully we get, uh, we get the, the vaccine rolled out. People get their injection. You know, coronavirus is eradicated from the, the surface of Earth, which would be great. What do you see from what we've learned on how we have had to adapt in 2020 and now? What trends do you think will, 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 will remain? What are the things that you think will, will remain and what are the the, the, the adaptation that we have had because they were forced on us uh, to put in place that we would, we would actually just you know, put back in the bin and carry on as, as we used to before. Look, if you've been in sales for a bunch of years, you just have to realize that your buyer has changed. You still probably have these old connections and they're still the same and they want the same things for you. you know, there's a report and I, I think this report is one of the most telling. Gartner put out a report in, I think it was in the beginning of November of this year. And it was the, uh, their state of sales 2020, 2020, 2021, I can't remember. And, and the, they did a survey. 80% of millennials in B2B said they did not want to talk to a salesperson during the process. 80% said they did not want to. Millennials right now are involved 
in 40% of all decisions made, whether that's they're the end user, the manager, the direct, whatever. And, and what I think you have to realize, it doesn't mean they don't want to interact. They don't want to talk. And so if you as a seller, your only trick is I make people like me and I'm charismatic in person. I think you're, well, now I want you to take that skill and translate it to start making videos. Yeah. Right. Instead of after we meet, why don't I send you a video recap? Why don't I send you a video agenda? So I, I feel like the, the number one trend that most salespeople need to realize is that you need to mix up and have a lot and be able to meet people. Maybe John likes to do text message. Great. You need to ask them after the first meeting, hey, you know, if something comes up between now, is it okay if I text you? Or maybe it's after the second meeting or third meeting or whatever it is, right? How are you using text message? How are yeah. you interacting on LinkedIn? Are you interacting on Clubhouse? Are you doing this? I mean, there's literally people, uh, one of the, the, the person who runs our LinkedIn strategy group, she joined Clubhouse on Monday of last week. So she's been on, she's already had four new business meetings from Clubhouse. Four, right? And again, it's not even, it's open to like a million people or something. So, so my point is, you need to up your ability to interact and create meaningful interactions outside of just your charming charisma face-to-face. -face. And I think that is, that is going to be a universal skill for sellers as we go forward. It, it, it's it's going to be a non-negotiable. Well, it's also the direction we're getting to. I mean, if, if, uh, if, if that survey from, uh, from Gartner is saying that, uh, you know, 80% of the millennial who would be the decision makers of tomorrow uh, are, are, are not really on, want to engage in a different way, I guess we would have to adapt. We don't have any, any I mean, other yeah, I mean, can you imagine, right? Like, look, everything that is B2C comes to B2B. It, it, it just is, okay? And like, can you imagine, like, I had to call a travel agent to book a plane ticket? Yeah. Can, can you imagine that? It, like, it, I mean, of course, maybe you and like your extended family are planning some big ass trip, but for the basic day to day, whatever. Yeah, just want to do it online. Oh my God, or book a hotel. Like, <laughs> think of all this stuff, even a realtor, you know, in the, in the US, not last year, the year before, 2019, 70% of homes were found by the buyer by yeah. using sites, et cetera. Like, you know, we don't, we want access to information. And I think that that's the key to a modern sales org is, are you gating content? Are you putting up walls? Or are you allowing, are you educating people? Are you giving them access to information? Absolutely. Uh, there's, you know, there's a, some studies that, uh, they're gone, who's a, a big call monitoring software. Uh, they, they did a study, this about a year ago, and it said that sellers that talked about the competition in the first call had a higher close rate. It's okay. It's, it's just, you, 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 you talk about this, you give information. It's, it's how you build trust. And it's yeah. these, these aren't new skills, but they're certainly skills that I think we, you know, we forget about from time to time. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's just, uh, I've, I've, I've always been like that though. I think if I, if I think about the, the way we've been working with our team, I remember even with my sales team, always saying, well, look, if they're not responding to your calls, you've got to try something else. Send an email. If they're not responding to email, send them a text. If they're not responding to text, send them a WhatsApp. If you can see that they read your WhatsApp and don't respond, send them a voice note, right? Find a way that they can get the information and get closure. But also for the first meeting, in fact, I had one this morning where, you know, every single first meeting that I'm doing at the moment, instead of going through because I was fed up with doing presentation of the company and things like that, I just said, well, 
let's see if we've got a fit. You know, what is it that you are trying to achieve? Do you have a specific budget to work towards? What would success mean to you? Uh, and let me help you to find the right solution because it might not be me. It might not be my company. But I think in, 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 in those times, we need to support each other. And while we may not be the silver bullet for absolutely everything, I'd like to support you because I'm quite well connected in the world. And, and people love it. And, and that's when people really open up and they will tell you about your budget, their budget and stuff like that. And, and you've got to be honest. You know? and, and this morning, in fact, I don't think it would be a good fit for us. The name of the company would have been a fantastic, you know, in the trophy cabinet, it would have been a good one to bring back home. And I could have tried to technically sell to them and, you know, but yeah. it's like for, forcing a, a, a square peg in a round hole, you know, it's just, it won't work in the long term. It's not what, it's not what you want. And, and yeah, I, I do in agree. With years, in a year, in three years, in a half year, that person leaves the company. Like you never know when that deal, they're, they're not qualified for now, but that's for now. And I think that they're respectful. Yeah. That's right. And then that way, if you reach out in six months or 12 months or 24 months or four years, I'm telling you, people remember that. And it's interesting. So I was asked on a podcast actually last week, this question about, you know, what else has changed, you know, with COVID. It's like, you've always had buyers that are in really good industries. You're not sure, but maybe, and their industries are struggling. And what 2020 did is we just gave this blanket pat and said, everybody is struggling. It's it's trying times, et cetera. And, and, and now what we've got to come back to sales with is like, it's always been that way, but there's a lot of industries doing extremely well. There's some that are doing okay and you need to talk to them and others that just aren't a fit right now, whether it's your product or the industry. And, and what you just did there is create your nurture funnel and that every sales org and sales individual needs to have a group of people they nurture over a longer period of time, a middle group that they nurture over a three to 12 month period. And then the people that are ready to buy now. Before we had, we treated everyone like a buyer. And if they weren't a buyer, we're like, you're shit. Like, just go back to marketing automation. You know, sales disqualifies you. And then all of a sudden we're like, oh man, we got to work these leads again. It's like, well, what were you doing before? You should have been creating these different types of ways that you engage based on that industry that that person's in yeah. and their company situation and what you do. And, and I feel like, that's another trend that people need to do is make sure every seller is playing the long, mid, and short game, not just the short game. Yeah. I feel like too many organizations over the course of the last when things were frothy, right? The market's doing well. You think everyone's a buyer, even though that wasn't necessarily the case. No, I agree with you. In fact, you know, I remember having some conversation with a fair few clients because you almost felt that their sales process was really robotic. So. Uh, you, you, you get them in front of a prospect and first thing that they want to do is to force that PowerPoint presentation or demo to, to the end user. No matter who you are, no matter what's your title, this is what we do. This is a sales cycle. This is the process. I'm going to do a presentation. I'm coming with my engineer. I sit there. I said nothing. And I've got my guy speaking about the whole thing. And the only question I ask at the end is, hey, did you like it? Do you want one? No? All right. What? See you later. And it's just like, Surely, when you speak to someone, the first 10, 15 minutes should be a conversation. It's like, hey, this is where we come from. This is what we do. Tell me a little bit more about you guys. I've done a bit of research. I'm expecting, I'm expecting that. Is that right? Is that wrong? You know, what are your objectives? Why are we speaking today? 
I know that, you know, I've got my notes, but I really wanted to get into the reason why we're here, what we can do for you, and then let me adapt the presentation to, you know, you can still push your PowerPoint if you want to, but it's almost like, okay, this is what I've got to do. Leads is coming through, boom, score, get to someone, someone qualify, get a 15-minute call. 15-minute call is, I've got a presentation for you. You want it or not? No? Okay, move on to the next one. And I think that's lacking a little bit of charm. That's lacking a little bit of everything. And I think even prospect were just like kind of, that's probably the reason why people don't turn up to meetings. We've seen a big drop in meetings is because everybody's trying to make it too rigid. And I think you, I mean, it depends. I guess if you are selling stuff at 10, 15 K a pot, maybe you should have a process that is a bit more in, out, in, out. But when you go over 100 K, 150, 200 K solution selling type of stuff, you know, you want to have a conversation, particularly if you're going to sit in front of a C-level person. You don't want to just drop down and say, hey, give me the HDMI cable. I just need to plug for my presentation. That's not going to be your first question, you know? Well, well but, but what I would say, though, is even in that $15,000 sale, it's the same 30 or 45-minute conversation. You can either choose to engage or you can choose to just treat it like a transaction. The only person that knows that this is going to be a $15,000 sale or is transactional is you. That buyer, that individual is interacting for the first or second time. And so you've got, to, you've got to create an experience for everybody. It's the same amount of time, the same amount of energy. It's just the work that you're putting in during the call or before or after. So why, why do you think we got there, Jake? Do you think we got there because too many software vendors, not enough sales talent that can actually become a chameleon in front of prospect, adapt, and, and have a genuine, interesting conversation with the prospect. So basically, you've got people that, I don't know if the word mediocre is the right adjective here, but average people coming in, and you, you technically want to put them in a box because that's the best way for you to control what they are doing. Do, yeah. do you think that's what it is, or do you think that whole situation that we're speaking about, about the lack of, because I don't get it personally. I think if you're a salesperson, you should, lo- you should be curious. You should be inquisitive. You should know about people. You should, you should be like, very interested to understand why people want to buy your thing and why they would not want to buy it. You know, because it's, the, both feedback are as interesting as each other in a way. Obviously, there is one that, uh, and I had a good phrase, actually. One of my first sales managers would tell me, well, what's your average deal value? Well, it's 100K, okay. How many people would say no to you before you get your 100K average deal close? I said, well, maybe 10? That's great. So for every single person that says no to you, that's 10 grand of revenue for your company. This is beautiful. And you, I don't know. I think, I think it's really important to understand the no as much as the yes to really progress as a salesperson as well. But it seems- that, is, that is critical, man. You know, it's interesting. I've thought a lot about this question. And I think, look, I don't know if you can pinpoint it to one, one reason of, of how sales has kind of you know, ended up in the state it's in. But let me tell you one of the things that I had this kind of, I don't know, it was a realization maybe six, six to nine months ago. I think actually one of the bigger issues, uh, and maybe like, again, because what I'm trying to do is get to the root cause is how do we root this thing out and, and fix it? I think right now that there's a mix of, we have people with shorter tenures than ever, right? You know, that jump every year and a half, two years from a job, sales job to sales job. And now we don't even, we, there's no, no punitive for that. And look, sometimes it just doesn't work out. So there shouldn't, shouldn't be. But what I think we have right now is a chicken and egg problem. 
that companies, I feel like, are investing at an all-time low in training. You know, I, I've got to tell you, especially in tech, the development of leadership is pathetic. I mean, beyond pathetic. We promote these people. You know, these sales teams have 100 people and 10 managers. And those managers have went through one-tenth the training that the sales development rep went through. My friends, it's the opposite. <laughs> You've got to overinvest in training your leaders. And, then, and that makes the all ships rise. So I think we have a bit of a chicken and egg that the reason sales talent is getting less is companies are investing less in, in training and ongoing training because people are leaving and people are leaving because they're not getting the amount of training and development they want. Yeah. So the companies look all, you know, speaking for my own company, all I can do is control what I can control, which is, you know, are we developing our people? Does everyone have a career development plan? Is their leader meeting with them on it? So I feel like to me, what I, I, cause I've thought about this question a lot. That to me is, is the, the closest I can get to the root cause is that both sides are under investing in their relationship. And therefore, they're never going to see, neither side will ever see the potential of the individual or that individual won't buy into the company to then, you know, invest in getting better and better. So that, yeah. that's the best that I've got on how, yeah. how a company can potentially stop it. This is so true. And, and big realization as well, speaking about the, 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 the things that we've done in 2020 that we will reproduce in 2021 in, in a sales environment. Uh, one thing that I massively realized is that at Operatics, we became complacent. Because we are, we've been a successful company, you know, growing every year and stuff like that. And, you know, we really realize our complacency because success drives a bit of complacency. Even if you know it's coming, you don't see it coming. You don't become complacent because you are a complacent person. and right. You are complacent only when you realize that you have just been complacent and you need to do something about it. So what we realized this year is that we are under-investing in resources in people. And, and, you know, normally we are in the office. You know, we fly to one office, we take them out for dinner, we spend some time with them, and that's quality time. They feel invested. They feel that you care. You see them, you know. In the UK, we go to the office. People see you. You go for a beer on Friday night. You know, people see you and stuff like that. You go around. You have a few chit-chat. Boom. That's it. Everybody knows about it. You take that away. You take that social interaction away. We, we were actually losing people's appetite to work for us. You know, that sort of... And we felt it, you know, it was not too bad, but what we decided to do is to completely reinvest in training. And in fact, we started with a leadership training session and basically train everyone to be a leader. What was the basis of leader? We are all a leader, okay? So what do we need to do to lead our own wife? And, and we, we saw what I hope is a great response. It didn't work for everyone, of course. You know, you, never, you can never have 100% success rate, but I think we've really made a big change when we decided to actually, okay, you know what, instead of screaming at people or being, not screaming at them because we don't scream at them as such, but instead of being annoyed at people, what we should do is invest in them because, you know, life is a mirror and maybe they are, they, 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 they don't see what we are doing for them. So they don't do what we expect them to do for us. So, and, and that's such a big thing that we will carry on in 2021 for us is keep on investing on people. Never forget that. Because this is how we started the company, but with success, with success we drove that complacency drove of, was driven in, a, in maybe less investment in the people. We took them for granted. And God, COVID-19 helped us to take it straight back in the face. And now, you know, we, we won't stop investing in people because this is, 
In fact, we've got new career paths that we are drafting at the moment. We are modeling that. You know, we, 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 we really, everything is about, is about people. Yeah, and that's it. And about investing in the individual, it's the same thing as with prospects. If you get to know them and invest in them, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of synergy between those two or a lot of overlap. Yeah. So, Jake, I appreciate that we, uh, we got carried away and just went a little bit all over the place. So if we wanted to bring back a little bit of structure, what would you say in terms of you know, what we would expect for the B2B sales world in 2021? Just, just to summarize, what do you see as the main trends and the main focus area? I, I, I think, look, the, the first starts with a mindset shift. If you start to engineer your sales process right now, re-engineer, right? And obviously, look, you can reach out to me, and this is obviously a part of what we're doing right now. But I, I, look, whether you work with us or not, I really don't care. If you... You have to start to re-engineer your sales process like B2B will never, or like face-to-face will never come back. What would you do? How would you change the way that you interact with people if you knew you never had face-to-face ever again? And if you go at it with that mindset, you will force yourself to then start to say, man, okay, let's just map the customer journey and and what that looks like. And let's think about where we can create surprise and delight, serendipity, you know, multi-thread with people and connect with them and interact with their content. I think if you take that mindset and you and you take a good look at your customer journey, I think you will, you can almost immediately elevate yourself above the competition. I feel like right now the sales experience bar is so low that if literally you just do such a small amount (laughs) of what I'm talking about, you do anything, you create a better pre-meeting experience. You create a better uh, follow-up experience. If you're able to do any of those things, I think you're going to win. Yeah, perfect. Sounds great, Jake. So what we do at this stage of the, 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 the podcast is ask our guests what would be the best way to get in touch with you. We may have some of our listeners that wants to you know, have a conversation about scale consulting and maybe you guys helping them. Some others may want to just pick your brain up on one of the, 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 the topics that we discussed today or one of the subjects that you, you, you addressed today. So what's the best way to get hold of you, Jake? Sure. I mean, look, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm quite active there. Uh, it's just type in Jake Dunlap. I'm the first one that comes up most of the time. Or, you know, feel free to email me, jake at scale, S-K-A-L-E-D.com. Or on Clubhouse, just at Jake Dunlap. If you're on Clubhouse, follow me. Right. <laughs> But that's what, no, I mean, I try to be, uh, yeah, I try to do a good job of uh, following up and engaging. So if you hit me up on any of those platforms, I'll, I'll be available. That sounds great, Jake. Well, uh, once again, many thanks to have you on the podcast today. It was, it was good to discuss with you. Yeah, thanks, man. I really enjoyed it too. Operatics has redefined the meaning of revenue generation for technology companies worldwide. While the traditional concepts of building and managing inside sales teams in-house has existed for many years, companies are struggling with a lack of focus, agility, and scale required in today's fast and complex world of enterprise technology sales. See how Operatics can help your company accelerate pipeline at operatics.net. You've been listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.